continue our study on the prophets Elijah and Elisha into the life of Elisha now. 2 Kings chapter number 4. Second Kings chapter four. All right, follow along. I'm going to read verses one through seven, and then we'll pray together. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thine house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels uh, abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shall pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. And she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go, sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and the opportunity to gather, to be here today and Bless our uh, adult Bible study hour and be with the children and the young, the teenagers downstairs as well. Watch over them and just draw each of us closer to you through the teaching of your word this morning. We ask your blessing on the church service to follow, that you'd be with Pastor Ethan as he preaches and to be with the junior church downstairs, just to minister, Lord, to them as only you can. But as always, Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy and for your grace in our lives. Again, meet with us today. Help us to leave this place having sensed that you have accomplished your purpose in our lives today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What shall I do for thee? That's what Elisha asked uh, this woman. And uh, what we're going to see. And that's the question, really, that uh, really the Lord says to you and I, what, what shall I do for thee? And it's one of the wonderful things about, about knowing the Lord. So the topic of this morning's Bible study, and we're using this uh, particular account in the Old Testament, uh, we're dealing with the topic of faith and um, living by faith, as well as trusting uh, the Lord by faith. So on our handout, why don't you read this verse out loud with me? Won't you? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six, Hebrews 11 and verse six, right on your handout. Let's begin. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
Faith, as you see on your handout, is the confidence that we have in God, in his fidelity, his truth, his wisdom, and his promises. And one of the things that we should always remember is sometimes you hear the term blind faith. Well, we don't, we don't have a blind faith. That's not what Christianity is about. Uh, Christianity is not about blind faith. So if you notice on your, your front page of your handout, when you talk about the word faith, three things I want to kind of hammer home in the lesson this morning. So one is knowledge, one is assent, and the other is appropriation. So in other words, when we're talking about Bible faith, these three characteristics are found in our faith, and we're to be mindful of that. So again, here the first is knowledge. Faith is not believing without evidence. On the contrary, faith rests upon the best evidence, and namely, the Word of God. That's, what, that's, our, that's our evidence, the, the Word of God, God's uh, inspired and preserved Word that He's given to us down through the ages that we can look at, we can read, we can make application. Faith, it says, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's how someone comes to know Christ as their Savior. The Word of God is brought forth, and uh, then the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and brings conviction to that individual's heart, the reality of their need of Christ, and then the individual either calls upon the Lord or rejects from what they've heard. So faith comes by, comes by hearing, that knowledge that we have in, in the Lord and the things of God. You need a handout? Got one? Okay. So we understand that, amen? We, we, that's, book, that's why, you know, um, I've often said this ever since I've been in the ministry, that uh, probably all of us, or at least most of us, that come to church, we bring our Bibles with us in one shape or form. It might even be on your phone, but we open up to the Word of God, amen? And... Um, the reality is that that's not always true in some churches. Uh, that's just, you know, almost like the Bible is kind of a secondary thing. Uh, but, but our whole, everything that we believe is found in the book, in the Word of God. And from cover to cover, we read it, we, we, we understand it with the Holy Spirit's help. It's preached, it's taught. So we build up our faith on the knowledge of God's Word. Um, so again, number one, faith, it's not believing without evidence. On the contrary, it rests upon the best evidence, and that's namely the Word of God. But then, with regards to faith, there has to be assent. In other words, an agreement after careful consideration. Because there's many people who read the Bible, and they read the Bible as maybe literature. Um, but do we believe what it says? Do we really believe it? Just like the, with regards to God, Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And so we hear about God through the word of God, uh, and then you have to, that, so you get that knowledge. What, is, what does the Bible say about God the Father? What does the Bible say about God the Son? What does the Bible say about God the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say about salvation? So we, we, that knowledge, we come to understand what it says, but then as far as faith is concerned, there has to be assent and agreement after considering it. 
Like, for instance, in the book of Acts, sometimes one, one particular place where Paul preached, uh, the Bible said that there were some there that believed. There, there were some there, when they heard him preach, just did not believe at all. And then there were others that said, we need to consider this matter a little bit more. So, obviously, the first group that believed, they gave assent to what they had just heard. The second group, they did not. The third group, still were under, it was still under consideration. And perhaps for many of us, we didn't come to know Christ the first time we heard the gospel. We might have heard the gospel numerous times. I mean, I heard the gospel my whole life and really looked till I was 24 years old when I received Christ as my Savior. And that uh, was really when I believed there was a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I had a lot of knowledge, and a lot of people have a, Bible, a lot of Bible knowledge, but uh, assent. So I just give one example here uh, uh, on, the, on your handout. So for instance, part of, during Jesus' ministry, Matthew 9, 28 said this, and when he was come into the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Lord, or excuse me, yea, Lord, they believed that he was able to do this. Now, I'm not going to have you turn back to that because we have some other scripture to turn to. But if we looked at the verses that go around that, they, they, it says there that they recognized him as the son of David. And um, so they understood and believed that he was the Messiah. And they believed that he could do what he could do. And that was part of the assent. Um, when you got saved, you gave assent. You believed that you were a sinner. You believed Jesus died and paid for your sin. You believed that you had the knowledge that he went to the cross and was buried and three days later rose from the dead. And then you gave assent to that. That's the, that's the aspect of the faith after considering that, thinking about that, and God working in your heart. That's the ascent. But then there's the appropriation, to take possession and to receive it. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So we, we came to understand by knowledge what it meant to be a son of God, what it meant to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, and then that moment, that time to be saved, we received him as our Savior. But the same is true not only about our saving faith, but our, our daily faith and, and the promises that are found in God's Word and taking those promises and, and applying them to our lives. And we're going to see that in the account in Elisha's ministry here, how the woman there that Elisha and her two sons, how Elisha is dealing with, she had knowledge, she gave assent, and she appropriated by faith the promise that the man of God had given her. Lastly, on the front page, someone said this. I forget who said it, but I wrote it down. Belief is a realm of thought. Faith is a sphere of action. Belief lives in the study Faith comes out in the marketplace, in the streets, and faith substantiates belief. It gives substance, life, reality. Faith is acting upon what you believe. Have you ever seen, have, have you ever had God answer your prayers? Amen. Well, why do you pray? Right? I mean, when you take these things that I've just, these little three points, why do you pray? Because you have the knowledge of, of what God's word says that we're supposed to pray, 
right? Um, and then we give assent to the promises of God, and then we appropriate those things. We just see God work in our lives. And it's a really exciting to see, to see God do a work in, in our lives. Um, so now let's look at this account and make, and make some comments on it. So on the back of your handout. So let me ask you this too, and, uh, as, as before we get into these, these three points here. Um, what do we know about the husband? To the, he's dead, we know that obviously. But, but I think it's important that we could just read through this and pass over the husband. We could just say, well, this poor woman, her, she's a widow, she doesn't have a husband, and she's in a, she's in a tough spot here. But what is it about the husband that we can, uh, as good Bible detectives, if you will, um, in verse, verse number one, there's a lot that verse number one says about the husband, other than the fact that he's died. So, so look at it and tell me. Somebody give me one characteristic. It was a God-fearing man. And um, so we understand that about him. What else? Yes. Yeah, he financially wasn't, he didn't exactly leave his family in the best situation um, at this point. Um, so, yeah, he could have run up some debt. He certainly didn't have any extra. He may have died unexpectedly. We don't know, but we just do know that he's dead. What else? What else there in that first verse can you, can you see? So he's a God-fearing man. There's other things that are, he's characterized by there. He's one of the one of the prophets. He was one of the prophets in the school of the prophets. Remember, in the last couple of chapters, there were the school of the prophets. What else? It had to be considerable debt because they were taking both his sons. Yes, they were taking both his sons, and they were they were they were allowed to take both of his sons, uh, and that was under the law, the Book of Exodus. In fact, his sons would be would have to serve for seven years. To pay the debt off. So, uh, yeah. There's a couple other things, though. At least one other thing. So, I'll just kind of help you. He was a servant. Okay, that was characteristic of him. He was a servant. But whose servant? Yeah, apparently he had served Elisha. So there's, a, there's some type of a relationship here. He's not a stranger. Elisha had some type of a relationship that was going, going on here. So here he is, this man who feared the things of God and um, loved the Lord, but he's died. And, he's, and his family is in a difficult, difficult situation here. And, um, and by the way, we, we could just take that for granted because... This is a time of apostasy in Israel. So to be a servant of the Lord, you re remember when e we studied Elijah and Elijah was on Mount Carmel? And, and, and Elijah, if you remember what he said there, he said, Lord, just uh, I'm the only one left that's serving you. 
And what did God say to him? Anybody remember what God said to him? After Elijah said, I'm the only one left. Thousand. There were thousands of others. I think it was 6,000. Might have been 7,000. Six or 7,000. Um, and um, so he said, no, you're not, you're not, the, you're not the only one. So, but it was still a time of apostasy. So if you remember when we started, when we, when we transitioned from Elijah to Elisha, Elisha, we learned, came from a pretty prominent family. I mean, he had 12 yoke of oxen. So he wasn't from a poor family. So he was not only giving up a, a, a pretty lucrative and comfortable lifestyle, but he too now, Elisha, this is the, these are the days of, of the wicked kings. So there's a, he's, could very well be putting his life in jeopardy to be who God had called him to be. So here's his wife, though, and she's uh, in, a, in a dire spot here. So three things on our handout here. First point is this, that when we're talking about faith and living by faith, faith has to be characterized by expectancy. We expect that God is going to do something. Uh, we expect, each of us that are put our faith and trust in Christ, that we have an inheritance in heaven waiting for us, amen? That when we die, we're going we're, we're to, be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, we expect that. Uh, but we expect when we pray, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we should go to the Lord in prayer expecting that, number one, God's going to hear our prayers and that God's going to answer our prayers. And it may, he may not answer them. Uh, we may be praying out of God's will. Uh, and that's a whole another aspect of it. But, but God, we should expect that he hears our, our prayers. So when we use, uh, when we use faith in connection with the word of God, first, there's the content. We, again, the knowledge, the whole content. Like in the Old Testament, the question was asked, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, what would the answer to that be? Yes. And by now, you know, the, the woman here, the, the, her husband and the woman, she would have known that. She would have known the stories of how Moses uh, led the children of Israel out of Egypt and how God took care of them in the wilderness, provided the manna, provided the quails, provided the water, provided that plus protection. She would have known that. She would have heard those stories. She would have known the, the accounts of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She would have known all of that. She would have known the accounts of, of, king, of David as a shepherd and then being a king. And all of those biblical accounts, the, the accounts of Joshua. Now God had, had dealt with Joshua. So that would have been the content. But then context, how to make a application to, to, the, to your life here. So again, look at verse 3 and 4. He said, here it is. Then he said, go to the woman, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, empty vessels, and, and borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door behind thee upon thy sons and pour out into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. So just think what she's being asked to do here. She has one vessel of oil. That's all she has. And now she's instructed 
to go and get as many vessels as they can get. Go to all the neighbors. So there's a couple of things here about this. So number one is this. She's there. This is going to be a gift from God, but you notice they have to put some feet to what God has asked, through the man of God is asking them to do. In other words, they have to be industrious. It's not just, let's ju just sit here and God's going to provide this, but you need, to do the, you need to do some things that are being required of you. They need to be industrious. But there's, there's content and context to that as well. And, and let me just give you one example. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. In the Old Testament, there was a system that was given in order to help people who didn't have much or who were in need. Now, without getting too political this morning, I, I'm going to just say this. I think one of the worst things that ever happened in America was the welfare system under President Johnson. And because it gave people a sense of entitlement of receiving things that they didn't earn. I think it was Reagan that said the best welfare program is to give a person a job. Because to give people things for them just to sit home, and, I'm, and I am not against helping people that are in need, but again, without getting too involved in that whole program, there are whole segments of our society that it has absolutely ruined and um, anyhow, I won't say anything other than that. But let me show you just one example of how in the Old Testament, the Jewish people dealt with the issue, if you didn't have much, uh, and how you could be provided for. And it meant that someone was going to gift you something, but you had to be industrious to receive it. So chapter 24 and verse 19. Here was the law that was given. When thou cuttest down the harvest in thy field and hast forgotten a sheaf in the field. So again, picture this. Let's just say it's a field of corn or a field of wheat. And so you've harvested, but you didn't harvest everything. And maybe you could look back and you can see that it hasn't, there's still some things that you've missed. Look what it says. Thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for a stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, and the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand. So in other words, they were to leave it. There's a famous example of this in the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible, that deal, an Old Testament book, that deals with this, and a woman meeting a man, and end up, she marries this man. What's that book? Book of Ruth. And... Uh, her mother sent her out, her, her mother-in-law sent her out into the fields because of the corners of the fields, they were not to be harvested. So if you didn't have much, you could go and you could gather. Whoever owned the field was to leave them according to the law and you could gather and bring back to your home. So you had to be industrious. The owner of the land, it was kind of his gift to give back. It's the same thing here. Verse 20. 
When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. So in other words, you go to the olive tree, and, um, you know, when you're in Israel, there's olive trees everywhere. And, um, and, and, and we were at one restaurant once, and we're standing there, and there's these olive trees with all these olives. You could just pick them off and, and, and eat them. But there's a whole other thing. If you had a, if you had a, uh, what would an olive, a vineyard, I guess it would be, right? A vineyard, and you shook the olive trees, and you gathered up. Uh, but there was a few left, and you missed them. You were supposed to leave them. That was for those who were in need. They could go. They could pick them themselves. Um, verse twenty-one: When thou gatherest the grapes of the vineyard, no, it wouldn't be. What would an olive or what would? Would it be an orchard? Yeah. Obviously, grapes would be the vineyard. Um, when thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. So in other words, this was their welfare system. But you understand what I'm saying. It had, what it had to do with is you had to be industrious if you were going to be part of this. If you just sat home, you'd starve. But there was a way that you could go and, and get taken care of. So you go back to, to this. And so the whole idea of living by faith. Well, wait a minute. God has, it does promise to provide by faith. And, um, but there's a part that we need to do. We need to be obedient to the things of God and to the word of God. So the woman here, she's being asked to do something that kind of seems odd. Um, but she's being asked to do this. And she's... And, the little phrase there, borrow not a few. In other words, don't just go and get one or two. You go and you get as many as you can. So I picture this in my mind that the room in the house there is just filled with vessels. Anywhere that they could put a vessel, there was a vessel. And then they were to shut the door and her and her sons, and they were to, they were to take this one cruise of oil that they had and they were to begin to pour it into all of these vessels. And you'll set aside that which is full. So she, in order for her to do this, she, she needed to be expected. She needed to expect that, well, God's going to do something. I may not understand all of this, but the man of God has said to go ahead and do this. And uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do it. And because um, he's told us to do it. And so they put confidence in this. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So in our, in our faith life, we know, we read the word of God. We understand the promises of God. We, 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 we have that knowledge. And then we believe that. We take assent. And, and then we, we, we appropriate it. So that's what happens here. Then faith is, second point here, is characterized by expediency. Someone said, faith is the soul leaping forth to embrace and appropriate the promise of God. So that's what they did again in verses 3 and 4. But in verse 5, so she went from him, shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who had brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, 
says this. He said, very simple statement on this particular verse. The way to increase what we have is to use it. The way to increase what we have is to use it, not to hoard it. She could have thought, well, wait a minute, this is, this is the only vessel that I have. This is all we have. But God is telling her to take what you have and to take it and to use it, and I'll multiply it. There's a New Testament verse that goes along. That. Take, take, we'll come back in a minute. Keep your finger here. Go to the Gospel of Luke, for instance. There's numbers of verses in the New Testament. But here's one. Luke chapter number 6 and verse 8. Or I think it's verse 38. Luke 6, 38. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. This is Jesus, Jesus preaching to the multitudes. And it starts in verse 27 about saying, Love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. That's pretty radical teaching for the day. You know, that was just not common. So if people... And what a way to start... That's a, boy, if that's an attention getter... You're preaching a sermon, and the first thing you say is, hey, you need to love your enemies, and um, you need to uh, uh, do good unto them which hate you. Well, if you weren't paying attention, you would have said, what? That's, that's not how we do things. That's not how. So you know, we, we hear this because we've read it before. We just assume. No, no, put yourself in their position there. Remember, when, when Jesus preached the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when you're in Capernaum, and you, you, it's right there, you're, the, the water, the, the, the Dead Sea comes right to the shore, and the, there's a, like a hillside that comes down, natural amphitheater, just picture Jesus sitting, standing there by the water, and the hills that are right in front of him, people are sitting on those hills, and they've come to hear the teacher, the rabbi, uh, Jesus, who's becoming more and more well-known, and they're listening and the first thing he says is, you know, you need to love your enemies and not hate them. Do good to them. Imagine if you were sitting there. Did you hear what he just said? That's not how we operate around here. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. So if the first verse, the first sentence didn't get your attention, the second sentence surely must have. All radical stuff. And unto him that smiteth thee on the cheek. Unto him that taketh away thy cloak. Don't forget, they were under Roman occupation at this time. I'm reading a book by, about Samuel Adams. And uh, pre-revolutionary war and, and revolutionary war. And, and I'm still, uh, the revolution hasn't started yet in the book. But Samuel Adams was probably the greatest. He was America's first propagandist. He wrote a lot of propaganda. A lot of things he wrote were true, but he wrote a lot of propaganda that riled up the, the uh, colonists. And um, um, what am I telling you this for? I don't know. <laughs> Let me think for a minute. So it, actually, he's a very interesting, he's an interesting character. Um, oh, but the, um, in Boston, just previous to the Revolutionary War, the king sent over two, uh, 2,000 troops. And the people in Boston couldn't stand this. The, the, I mean, these were, 
These were, now you have to think of it uh, in pre-revolution. They believed they were English citizens. And the king is sending over these troops. They, they were very upset. And um, the colonists just were, they were, they brutally ridiculed the English troops, even out on the streets. They mocked them. They, they did all kinds of, of things uh, to them. Um, they weren't very Christ-like. Let me just put that in there and in, in, in how they dealt with them. But uh, when Jesus is speaking these things, they're under Roman occupation. And um, verse 30, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as if you would that men should do to you, do also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thanks have you? But yeah, for sake of time, go down to verse 38. So give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you met, with all shall it be measured to you again. So here's the teaching, the New Testament teaching. You give, it's a little phrase I, I heard many, many years ago. You give to get, to give, to get, to give, to get, to give, to get. So go back to first, second Kings. So here's the woman. She has just, that's all she's got. And there's many, remember the, the woman at the, at, who put her, her one mite into the offering. Or back in Elisha's day, the woman, we studied Elijah, for instance. The woman just had enough uh, for her to eat and her, and, and her family to eat. And, and Elijah said, no, make, make a meal for me. It's part of being people who live by faith. The way to increase what we have by faith is to use it by faith. And so this is what happens here in, in verse 5. We, we, we use it in connection with the name of God. So the two subpoints. So again, we have to believe in his existence. And we have to believe in God's enabling by faith. His existence and his enabling. Again, go back to the opening verse on the front page of our handout. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So first you have to believe in his existence. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You have to believe not only in God, but you have to believe in, in his enabling, his rewarding. Um, again, we're almost out of time. I'm not going to have you turn to Genesis. But Genesis chapter 15 is the life of Abraham. And Abraham... He promised to, God promised to Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations. He promised to Abraham and Sarah that he would give them a son. He promised, and, and Sarah laughed at it. They were beyond childbearing years. They did believe in God. They had that knowledge. But God was going to teach them what it meant to be an assent, to be in agreement with his promises, and to appropriate those promises. That's what faith is all about. Abraham, it says on your handout, Romans 4, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And that's how our faith grows. We become fully persuaded. We read these promises of God and we're fully persuaded. At some point, if you're born again, you were fully persuaded that Jesus can save you. And then we grow in our faith. 
And we find ourselves in situations where, because our faith may be weak and some of the promises of God, we enter in and we're a little bit doubtful. Maybe we're really doubtful. And, um, but that's how we grow in faith. And that's the last, verse, the last point here. Faith is characterized not only by expectancy and by expedience, kind of doing what we're asked to do, but it's characterized by expansivity. That's a, that's a real word. I, left it, I looked it up. In other words, it grows. Verse 6. And it came to pass when the vessels were full. You know, that must have been an amazing thing. You know, there's all of these vessels. She's got one vessel, and they just keep pouring. They just keep pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. I wonder if, you know, if, if it was me, I would have looked in the, <laughs> I would have looked in this vessel. Oh, <laughs> just keep pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. And everything is filled. Wow, what a miracle. Our faith grows by the faith we already have. We have to build on that faith. And um, when it's used in connection, that's, this was the works aspect of her faith. And this, I could teach a whole lesson on these two subpoints. There's the Godward side of faith, and there's the manward side of faith. We know that we are justified by faith. We're not justified before God by works. But let me ask you this question. Who are we justified by, by our works? So we're justified by faith. We can't, we, we, there's nothing that we can do to gain merit with God. The Bible teaches us that clearly. But who, who are we justified with by our works? Huh? I guess you, I wasn't thinking of that, but I guess you could say to some degree by, our, by ourselves, because, yeah. But, 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 but even more than that, by others. That's the manward part. We're just, what did Jesus say? You shall know them by their what? They're their fruits. So, you're saved fully by, uh, by faith in Christ in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Again, Ethan did, we're just finishing up today the whole book of Romans. We did chapters on justification by faith. We're not justified by the law. Okay? But before mankind, people are, to see the, people are to see the faith that we have in Christ living in and through us. That's where people get all confused with what James said. Um, well, here on your handout, James 2.17 and 24, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. But a little bit farther on, it says, Abraham believed God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So sometimes people read that and say, they, they say, you see, you have to be justified not only by what Jesus did, but by what you did. No, 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 Paul, and then they'll say, well, Paul and James were in disagreement with one another. They contradicted one another. But again, if you do the whole study, what you find James is saying with regards to justification is we're justified before men. They, they see Christ living in and through us, a true and a real faith in our lives. And Paul is teaching that we're justified by, um, by faith in Christ. Am I making sense there? So... Anyhow, I probably shouldn't have got into that topic with so little time left. But um, um, 
People are to know us by our faith. And so it's important with regards to that. So let me just finish up a couple of comments here. So the woman here and her sons, they had faith with regards to expectancy. They did, they collected all the vessels. Uh, and they did it quickly. And they, she poured them out. And in verse 6, it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. She then came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay the debt. Now don't miss that. They were in debt to begin with. What was the first thing that they were to do? Pay the debt. Let's kind of bring it into modern terms. Let's say you're in debt. And you're asking God, and you've, first of all, maybe you've got yourself in trouble because of mismanagement. First thing you need to do is confess that to God and, um, and get that right and then ask God's help. But then all of a sudden, perhaps somehow, some way, God provides a way. Well, the first thing you ought to do then is take the finances that God has given you and pay off your debt, Right? Well, look, I got all this extra money. I think I'll go out now and buy a brand new TV or a brand... No, no, pay your debt. Pay your debt. That's a Christian principle, to not have and be in debt. And that's living by faith. And uh, starting little by little. You know, if you've ever read any, read any of these uh, Christian books, um, uh, that just slipped my mind. Who was the guy uh, who was, who was very well known that writes on uh, Christian finance? Somebody help me. Huh? Dave Ramsey. Um, and there's others. But you know, one of the first things they tell you if you're in debt is if you have numbers of debt, whatever the smallest debt is, pay that one off first. And then the next smallest, pay that one off. And then pay the next one off. But pay off your debt. And um, that's what was instructed. That's what she did. She went and she paid her, her debt off here. And um, and then she said to them, when whatever's left, live thou and thy children of the rest. So oil was a commodity then. I know Israel, Israel sold oil to uh, Egypt. We know the scriptures teach us that. They sold oil to different countries. That was part of, of their, uh, what they produced. By the way, this last time I was in Israel, now I was there 15 years ago the extent that the agriculture just in 15 years has expanded in Israel was astonishing to me. We stood on the Mount of Ascension. That's the mount that they wanted to throw Jesus off of. And when you stand on the Mount of Ascension, there's the valley that's there. And as far as you can see, I guess it would be east to west. Yeah, I guess it's east to west. As far, it's this huge valley. And as far as you can see, Everything was green and lush and growing. And this was November. This isn't the height of the growing season. And, and the same thing going the other way. It's just, it's just astonishing. And driving through Samaria, I, this is the first time I've been through Samaria, but all of the, there, there are fish ponds now all through Israel where they're cultivating fish. And everywhere you go, even down along the Dead Sea, Acres and acres and acres of agriculture, uh, far more than I saw the first time. That's the good news. That's the good. The bad news is that's why the Dead Sea is drying up, because in order to, in order to irrigate all of these lands, they're taking all the water that's coming down 
from the Jordan River, which normally would go into the Dead Sea and replenish the water in the Dead Sea. And they also used that water for drinking water. So the Dead Sea, I, they told us when we were there, is now receding between five and 10 feet a year. And so they're trying to figure out how to replenish the Dead Sea. When you're, when you're there, there's whole resorts that were built right on what was the edge of the Dead Sea that are closed now. Because it's, now it would be hundreds and hundreds of yards from the resort to where the, the water is. So those resorts are, they don't even use them any longer. They're all boarded up. Anyhow, uh, that's free, free information at the end here. Uh, so uh, it's one of the cool things about going to Israel. If you ever get a chance, you should go to Israel. It's a neat, neat experience. Anyhow, just the conclusion real quick because Aaron's staring me down there. Fact, faith, feeling. Satan does his best to convince us of the reverse order and thus confuse us. The moment faith turns his back on the moment faith turns his back on fact and looks at feeling, the procession wobbles and our flesh wins out over our spirit. So anyhow, knowledge, assent, appropriation, let's pray. Father, bless now the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.